Hey, Mike here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Dark Poutine early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're about to listen to a historical episode of Dark Poutine. After episode 149, you will find Scott is no longer with the show. In an effort to maintain continuity and offer listeners as many episodes as possible, we are leaving the episodes in which he co-hosted intact. Thank you. Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Oh, hi, everybody. It's really good to uh, hear you. No. No, they're listening to us, aren't they? Yeah, be heard by you. It's not the other way. Yeah, so we would say it's really good to be heard by you. Oh, it's it's really good to hear you. Just let's move on. Scott doesn't know how this works. Let's move on. The views, information, and opinions expressed during the Dark Poutine podcast are solely those of the producer and do not necessarily represent those of Curious Cast, its affiliate Global News, nor their parent company, Chorus Entertainment. Dark Poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on the topics we present, nor are we journalists. We're two ordinary Canadians chatting about crime and the dark side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double and an Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. Yum, yum, yum. Listeners who feel they are in crisis can contact the Crisis Text Line in Canada by texting HOME to 686868. In the US or UK, text HOME to 741741. You'll be matched with a volunteer counsellor who is supervised by a licensed trained mental health professional. Crisis Text Line is free, 24-7 support for those in crisis. For more information, please go to crisistextline.ca in Canada or crisistextline.org globally. And let's get on with the show. The murders of an Australian man named Lucas Fowler and his American girlfriend, China Dees, near Lierd Hot Springs, B.C., in mid-July of 2019 were horrific. Both had been shot. As police were trying to figure out who killed the pair, Leonard Dick, a much-loved botanist and university lecturer, also turned up dead four days later, having been shot to death near Dees Lake. His SUV was missing. The burnt-out husk of a camper truck belonging to a young Vancouver Island man was also found nearby. He and his friend were on their way north for work and had failed to check in with family for days, and now they were considered missing. Yeah, this was a, this was a big one at the time, but just a year ago. Although RCMP stated that the murders of the couple and the botanist were not connected at first, it quickly became clear that they were, and the two missing young men were responsible for both. This triggered a massive manhunt and investigation taking place across four provinces and one territory as Canadians watched events unfold in their news feeds over the next three weeks. This is episode 128, 
the murders of China Deese, Lucas Fowler, and Leonard Dick. Yeah, this was one where uh, everybody's kind of glued to the media as it's happening. Yeah. Everything was just unfolding in real time, getting mm-hmm. constant updates. and con- Like, it was just a crazy, crazy... And things were happening so fast, people were getting confused uh, about things. And yeah. we'll, we'll get yeah. into that as we go along. China Noel Dees was 24 years old. She was from Charlotte, North Carolina, and was the youngest of four siblings. She had two brothers and a sister. She had an infectious smile. China graduated from Myers Park High School in 2013 and then went to college, Appalachian State, where she graduated in 2017, studying psychology and business. China was kind and always thinking of others. As well as being a blood donor, she volunteered at Joni and Friends Family Retreats, a Christian-centered organization for individuals affected by disabilities. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, she sounded like a nice person. Yeah. Her adventurous spirit inspired her to travel as much as she could. She'd been to 13 countries around Asia, South America, and Europe in her 24 years. Holy crap. She paid for her trips working at non-profits and hostels in many of the countries she was visiting. Her wandering took her to Croatia after college, where she got a temporary gig at a hostel. And it was there that China met a good-looking, tall, blonde, and bearded Australian man named Lucas Fowler. He was from Sydney's Hills District and the son of New South Wales Chief Inspector Stephen Fowler. He went to Coringai High School. They both sound like wonderful people. So far. Yeah. According to a BBC article, Lucas Fowler was the fourth child in the Fowler family and grew up loving adventure and the outdoors, riding dirt bikes and camping. Lucas, a year younger than China, was in the middle of a two-year-long backpacking trip around the world when they met. The pair clicked pretty much right away, and it was clear to everyone around them that they were deeply in love. Uh, there's, like, just living, living your best life just right there. Just living their best life. Traveling the globe, falling in love, seeing the world together. Like, that's just beautiful. I can think of worse things to be doing with my days. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. According to an excellent article about China D's life on charlotteagenda.com, the same year that China and Lucas met, they returned to the U.S., And, quote, they drove her father's 1996 Land Cruiser across the United States, taking young love up into the Rockies and through Yellowstone and down to San Diego, where they dropped the vehicle with a friend and then crossed the border and explored Mexico and Central America. Lucas came home to Charlotte with her in the winter of 2018 and lived here for two months. He smashed ginger snaps for pumpkin cheesecake and at... Thanksgiving wore one of China's grandmother's wool sweaters on Christmas, red with white snowflakes down the arm. <laughs> it was like one of those ugly sweaters. Yeah, 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 just having a good time. Sure, and he, he, they both had these really big smiles, and yeah. you could tell that they were, they just loved to be in each other's company. Oh. They were just always hanging off each other in every picture that I saw of them. Just like us, Mike. Uh, no, huh. no, that is not the case. Boo. Scott and I do not hang off each other. It is. Uh, yeah, Carol, in case you're listening. Yuck. (laughs) A National Post article said, their families expected them to marry and recalled with humor their plan to raise children in Australia for at least two years to ensure they had the accent. (laughs) Right? As we've talked about, it's a great accent. I love the the Australian accent. You little bad weather. Nice lady. Get in the water box. Exactly. 
Again, according to charlotteagenda.com, Lucas's temporary U.S. visa ran out in January of 2019. So rather than head all the way back to Australia and many thousands of kilometers away from China, his girlfriend China, not the place. <laughs> Thank you for, for clarifying. He decided to head to Fort Nelson, British Columbia, where he snagged a job at a local ranch. Yeah. China worked for the next few months to join Lucas there for a 25-day vacation in July. They were set to drive around northern BC and into Alaska in a beat-up blue 1986 Econoline van that oh. he'd been given by his boss. So this old van, this yeah. old beater is sitting there on the ranch, yeah. and uh, Lucas put his mechanical skills to work and got it running again. So his oh, boss man. said, well, I guess you can just have it then. Man, I would want, that's something I would want to do. Maybe not do the fixing the van part, but just go drive around right. in a van. Wow, that's just, it's, you would think of all the places that they have been, they've been to some pretty treacherous places. You would think Fort uh, Nelson yeah, would be just like Well, it's just a vessel. Like, yeah, think about driving up through that way. Oh There's my God, a, yeah. lots to see. It's that's for heaven, sure. Heaven, mountains, yeah, and trees, and trees, rivers. It's just, it's beautiful. So China was ready to come here to BC in early July According to an anecdote told of the Charlotte Agenda by uh, her mom, Sheila, China was already packed and had no room in her luggage for a couple of important items. Oh. Quote, China used what little extra cash she had to buy two gifts for Lucas, work boots oh. and a blanket with a moose embroidered on it. Oh my God. I guess I'll have to wear the boots on the plane, China told her mother that morning. Sheila burst out laughing at the thought of her five foot six inch daughter flopping through three airports between connecting flights in the size twelves. <laughs> what a sweetheart. Right? You get your what girlfriend your girlfriend's bought you some boots. Yeah. And she's gonna wear them on the plane because she can't fit them into into her stuff. Well, so she's just flipping and flopping look they look like flippers probably. And then on she her spent feet. whatever little extra cash she had on gifts for him. Yeah. Which like work boots. Like what? Oh, the couple spent the next week around the ranch. On July 13th, 2019, in a photo shared by China's family with charlotteagenda.com, Lucas Fowler and China Dees can be seen in Lucas' van grinning broadly as they left Hudson Hope, British Columbia, on their trip north mm. to Alaska. I could see why they'd be smiling and right? looking. It would be something I would look forward to. It's, what a, it's a trip of a lifetime. Oh, my you God. Know? And it sounded like they had a number of trips of a lifetime yeah. together. Yeah, but what what a, you would just think this is going to be a calm, tranquil, like just nothing but animals and silent. Oh. Yeah. In a 17-minute surveillance video from Sunday, July 14th, the day after the couple's departure, Lucas's van is seen pulling into a gas station. Lucas, his long hair in a ponytail, wearing long pants and a t-shirt, can be seen pumping gas into the two-tone blue van. China wearing a loose gray t-shirt, cut-off jeans, and sandals, diligently cleans the windows all around the van and then embraces Lucas before she heads inside to the convenience store. Lucas follows her when he's done pumping gas. After a few minutes, they exit the store. China has an armful of road goodies and can be seen drinking from a massive Slurpee. <laughs> the pair climbs into the van with Lucas driving and it pulls away. I want to be them. I've had a lot of trips like that. Carol and I will do that kind yeah. of stuff. We get our rogue goodies. We mm. get our junk food, our sugary stuff to keep us awake, like all those kind of things. Mine have usually been with Martin. Oh, really? <laughs> well, anyway, I, I do mine with my wife. Yeah. So. Yeah. I should try that. But it's, it, it's just like hearing that just 
she doesn't know she's being recorded. She just wanted to embrace her boyfriend. And it's beautiful. Like she's standing oh. on the edge of the pedestal for the gas pumps because he's quite a bit taller than her. Mm-hmm. And she's five six, so she's as tall as me. And I look, every picture I see of him, he's got to be at least six four. Oh, like wow. he was a very tall, yeah. lanky, tall man. Yeah. And so she got up on top of this thing and gave him a hug, like oh. standing on her tippy toes. My you know? heart. Yeah. From a Vancouver Sun article on the timeline of the events of this story. Quote, On Sunday evening, tourist Charles Ray is driving along Highway 97, 20 kilometers south of Liard Hot Springs, when he notices a broken down van. He stops to help. Fowler and Dees tell him they plan to call a tow truck eventually. The area they are stopped in has no Mm. cell phone coverage. Mm. Ray camps three kilometers away and plans to check on them in the morning. On this day, numerous people stop to talk to the couple and offer help while some passersby contact the RCMP. Oh, hey, there's yeah. a there's yeah. a van out there. But the people didn't seem to be in any trouble. So. Or distressed. They were like, yeah, we'll get to it when we get exactly. to it. You know, we'll, we'll get this thing going when, when it's time. Road maintenance worker Alandra Hull drives past the van and notes a man in the middle of the road facing a man and woman who are close to the van. They seem to be in a heated conversation but we're not sure who that person is. Mm -hmm. The couple was last seen alive around 7 p.m. that evening. At 6.20 a.m. on July 15, 2019, a semi-truck driver sees a blue van on the side of the road and notes the back window was smashed out. Mm -hmm. He pulled over and got out of his truck. As he walked around to the back of the van, he was shocked upon seeing two bodies a tall, bearded blonde man and a blonde woman in the ditch three meters from the van. The bodies were cold, having been there for a while. Others arrive on the scene to assist. As the area is out of cell phone range, one person volunteers to go and call the police, and RCMP are contacted at 7.22 a.m. Oh, wow, that's quite a, uh, an hour and they, to get to where they could, oh my God. And they wow. didn't, the RCMP were not able to come for another four hours, oh, apparently. person who stayed yes. with, like just, I mean, they, for what they're having to see and witness. And whoever did this, I just want to destroy already because of that love and beauty and in those two good people. Mm-hmm. Like just, you've, somebody just stopped that, just stopped that love and that joy and happiness and, mm-hmm. Police found the pair about five meters apart from each other. They'd been shot to death. Both of them had multiple entrance and exit wounds. From RCMP documents, quote, Police conducted an extensive search of the crime scene and surrounding areas. Various items were seized, including unspent and spent cartridges with the head stamp 101 and 75. The crime scene exhibits were sent to a firearms lab for examination. The number 75 is a date stamp that indicates the ammunition was manufactured in 1975, and the number 101 refers to the factory where the ammunition was produced. The seized ammunition was deemed to be 7.62, 39mm caliber. Firearms known to fire this caliber include a firearm commonly known known as an SKS, which is a non-restricted semi-automatic rifle. End quote. Mm, yeah, I don't, I don't know that one. It sort of looks like an 
AK-47 knockoff, okay. except it's a little longer. People okay. have always referred to them as an AK knockoff. Yeah. They do kind of look like that, yeah, yeah. but the stock is a little different, and like I say, it's longer. Okay. The RCMP Major Crimes Unit came in from Prince George and set about trying to identify the dead couple and figure out who had killed them and why. Over the next day, the bodies were identified as China D's and Lucas Fowler. Their families were notified, and later their names were released to the public with more pleas for information. Oh my God, getting that call. Oh. Yeah, especially, you know, you're, both, of, both parents are in different countries. Her parents are in the U.S. Mm -hmm. His parents are in Australia. His dad's a cop, so he knows exactly yeah. what this all means. Yeah, oh my God. A sketch was made of the bearded and dark-haired man who the couple had been seen apparently arguing with the day before. Police held a press conference releasing the sketch as a person of interest. Mm -hmm. Here's some global news audio of the of news coverage of the victims, the victim identification, and audio from a local resident, Carrie Hariluck, telling of her husband's sighting of China and Lucas sitting by the side of the road. The family of one of the victims will be arriving here at YVR, bound for northern BC. As this investigation continues to unfold, we do know the identities of the victims. They are China Noel Deese of Charlotte, North Carolina, and Lucas Robertson Fowler of Australia. The pair were found dead Monday on Highway 97, about 20 kilometers south of Leard Hot Springs. It's not clear why they were up there, but police believe they were killed sometime between Sunday and Monday. A woman who lives in the area says she saw their vehicle broken down by the side of the road. We just saw their van on the side of the road, and we saw the young couple, and the van the van hood was up like they had broken down. And they were sitting in some lawn chairs in the ditch. And when when I went by, my husband had gone by in his, in his pickup with our two kids about 20 minutes before, and he had slowed down, but he said that the couple didn't really indicate that they were having problems. He, he said they just were still sitting in their chairs, so he just kept going. Lucas is the son of a high-ranking Australian investigator, and we know his family is en route here, flying through YVR. A blue 1986 Chevrolet van bearing Alberta license plates were located at the scene. We understand that Lucas' family is traveling to Canada and that his family is an active member of the New South Wales Police Force. He is accompanied by a number of police officers from Australia. These investigators will be here to support the Fowler family and will not form part of our investigative team here in Canada. Of course, the big question is why and who killed the pair. At this point, RCMP are appealing to the public for dash cam video, asking anyone who might have been driving along Highway 97 in that area on Sunday or Monday to get in contact with them. At East Star Global News. Days later, witnesses told Global News of meeting China and Lucas just before their deaths. It just blows my mind that on that same highway there could be so good but yet so evil. Sandra Broughton says she will never forget meeting Lucas Fowler and China Deese. It was last Sunday and her family was heading home from a camping trip in the Yukon when she and her husband pulled over to help the young travelers. There was a van broke down and we just pulled over to see if they needed help. They seemed like they kind of had it under control. There was mechanical 
issues with the van. But they seemed fairly confident and, and yeah. competent. They knew what the problem was. The Brontons continued on to Fort Nelson, only to discover days later the couple was found dead. We went there, we were there to help them, like almost like an angel there to help them in a way, like trying to be good and help them. But yet that same day, the complete opposite of humanity hurt them. I've never had that happen where I'm talking to someone and then suddenly they're just not there. Marissa McKinley also crossed paths with the couple days before they died when they stopped in at the Pink Mountain campsite. We don't really know what to think, so it's just the uncertainty that's putting everyone on edge. And mixed in with the uncertainty, grief for two young strangers described as quiet, kind, and very much in love. The first thing I thought of was their, uh, was their parents. So it would be a, a pretty tough day for the for the family. Nadia Stewart, Global News, on Highway 97 near Liard Hot Springs. So many people had stopped to try and help these folks, mm-hmm. and and they were just having a great time. Well, I mean, we got to remember, like, he was competent enough to, to repair mm. the vehicle yep. to get it going. Yep. To get it for their travels. And so, you know, I'm sure... By the sound of it, they said he knew what was wrong, and they were just like, yeah, we'll, we'll take care of it. We're just going to chill. It's just broken down. Maybe we'll just camp here for yeah. a bit. You, you have no agenda. Yeah, I'm right. assuming. Like, it's like we're, we're, off, we're off to go from here to there. Yeah. And, and sure, this is a little blip in the road, but we're just chilling out. While we're here, let's chill. RCMP stated that they believe the risk to people traveling in the area was not heightened nor was it linked to any other crimes that they were investigating at the time. We recognize that this news is very troubling for the entire community and absolutely appreciate there may be concerns for safety in an area that's popular with nature enthusiasts and tourists. This investigation is in its very infancy, and it's not yet clear whether Lucas and China were targeted or if this was a crime of opportunity. At this point, we have nothing to indicate that their deaths are linked to any other active and ongoing investigations in that area of the province, or that there's a heightened risk to public safety because of this. Our investigators will consider any and all information carefully as this investigation unfolds. Who, who am I to uh, tell the RCMP what they should do? They're way more qualified yeah. <laughs> to know what to do than I am. In my reaction, though, is, well, okay, two people were murdered on, on seems senselessly what? shot yeah, yeah um you know not from this area but part of the mandate is probably not to incite fear for sure absolutely yeah. I, I completely agree but i i don't know i would think that it'd be like you know just if you're in the area mm-hmm. just be safe yeah you know because yeah they, like it seems senseless and random totally but, but again they know a hell of a lot more than i do So me too. From RCMP documents, speaking of them, on July 19th, 2019, an autopsy was performed on Fowler and Dees. The pathologist concluded both of them had died of multiple gunshot wounds. It appears that the shooters stood behind the victims for at Mm. least some of the shots. Mm. Disgusting. On Friday, July 19th, 2019, at approximately 719 in the morning, 60 kilometers south of Dee's Lake. Not not far. Well, actually, it's quite a ways. It's 460 kilometers away from the first crime scene. Oh, okay. I was just going by uh, south of Dee's Lake. Okay. Sorry, my bad. I jumped the gun. Yeah. 
So the RCMP responded to a vehicle fire there on Highway 37. When they arrived on the scene, they found that a truck was completely mm. burned. And we've got a picture of it up here on the screen. Yeah. You'll be able to see it on uh, darkpoutine.com. So responding officers found a burnt license plate belonging to this truck mm-hmm. and determined it to be from a Dodge pickup truck of the make and model, which was now smoldering just off the road. And it was registered to a 19-year-old man named Cam McLeod, and he was from Port Alberni, British Columbia. Okay, so yeah, so it's 460 kilometers from where the first crime right. scene was. And so, yeah, yeah, that is a good chunk. That You're looking at a solid four... Five hours of driving for oh, that, easily. if not more. Yeah. So, yeah. And not only that, it's four days later. So a lot has prob- yeah, okay. probably take place in, within four days. These are important things to note. Yeah. yeah so you don't, as, as a police officer, you think, okay, a burning truck, yeah. probably not related yep. to a murder that's happened. Two very different crimes. You know. Quite a distance apart. Yeah, it's exactly. not. It's not like it was, you know, in seven blocks away, they found this burning truck. No. no. So so it's, yeah, like I say, almost 500 kilometers away and four days later. Yeah. From RCMP documents, quote, on July 19th, 2019 at approximately 8.29 a.m., a highway worker stopped and advised the Dees Lake RCMP officer at the burnt truck scene about a deceased male. He had just located approximately two Mm. kilometers south. The deceased was an older male, and he did not match the physical descriptors of Cam McLeod, the owner of the truck. The deceased suffered injuries to his head and body, including bruises and burn marks. Initially, the cause of death was unknown, and this is in parentheses. The police are not releasing further details of the injuries out of respect for the deceased's family and not to further victimize them. Oh, wow. So things had been done to that person. Yeah, yeah. If it's so bad that they don't want to speak to it. I can, I can understand wanting to spare the family. E-Division Major Crime Unit was deployed to support the Dees Lake RCMP. So they came from uh, all the way from Prince George. And the North District Major Crime Unit was also there. So there's a lot of police officers involved in this. Police did not know how the deceased male was connected to the vehicle fire or the missing registered owner. As a result, a search warrant was drafted to search the burnt truck. And I didn't realize that. Like, I guess I if it's just, someone else's property, you need to make sure that you have a search warrant. But I thought if, um, just like, just probable like. Probable cause. Yeah. And I thought just like if, if somebody's home, like you need a search warrant to enter a home. Yeah. But if you see a crime half, an officer can enter if. Yep. I am unaware of the Canadian laws around that, but it's interesting. This is the first time I've kind of seen yeah, this. Yeah, where you needed a search warrant for a burnt truck. Yeah. Maybe it's because they know whose truck it is that they, whereas if it And he's not, not around. Yeah. yeah. And whereas if it wasn't, uh, if it was. He, he hasn't committed any crime. Yeah. Oh, right. Interesting. That they're aware of. So uh, lawyer, they, yeah. Canadian, Canadian lawyers or uh, law enforcement officers, please hit us up, let us know. Or I, it seems to me like they're uh, crossing T's and dotting I's, mm-hmm. you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Just yeah. to make yeah. sure yeah, that everything's very, above yeah. board and- Uh, Something doesn't fall apart later due to an illegal search. Yep, absolutely. Late that day, a family member of Cam McLeod told RCMP that he and his friend, 18-year-old Briar Schmigelski, left Port Alberni on Vancouver Island on January 12th, 2019, telling their families that they were on their way to Whitehorse in the Yukon to work. Okay. 
The two young men had been seen in McLeod's red and gray Dodge pickup with a camper on the back, traveling south from the Super A General Store in Dees Lake at around 3.15 the day before. So they were going the wrong direction if they were going, going to Whitehorse. Yeah, because that's north. Yeah, right? So something's not making sense. <clears throat> Their families had not heard from them in days. Well, where were they now and who was this dead man? Nobody knew who the other deceased man was mm -hmm. at the time. Were all these things connected? And at first, police didn't have any evidence linking the crime, or the young men, or the other crime far away. They they do seem different enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, both murders, but one, the vehicle's destroyed, the other one, it is. Like they're, they don't even know if the vehicle is connected to the murder that's two kilometers away. They have no idea. Yeah, true, yeah, yeah. Descriptions of the two young Vancouver Island men were released. Police wanted to know if they were okay, as they now seemed to be missing. Cam McLeod was described as six foot four or 1.93 meters tall, weighing at approximately 169 pounds or 77 kilograms, having dark brown hair, facial hair, and brown eyes. Briar Schmigelski was described also as six foot four or 1.93 meters tall. He, too, weighed uh, 169 pounds or 77 kilograms, having sandy brown hair. Both of them were tall and thin. Mm -hmm. That's very thin for a six-foot-four-inch yeah, man. Yeah, absolutely. I'm currently walking around at about 170, and I'm 5'7". Uh, yeah. And so, um, but you, so I'm thinking, like, you, you add a good chunk of it, like, that's, you know. Good chunk of human <laughs> on top of that. <laughs> that's, you know. that's beanpole territory. Exactly. Schmigelski and McLeod's family and a few friends told investigators they could not believe the boys were involved in the murder of the man near Dees Lake. They thought the two had to have been victims as well. Mm -hmm. RCMP initially felt there was no link to the crimes, but things soon changed. Mm -hmm. Later in the day, on July 22, 2019, with the hope of identifying the Dees Lake murder victim, Police released a composite sketch made of him. He was a kindly-looking, older, bearded man. And here's where some of the media got confused, mm -hmm. because they released one composite drawing of another bearded man, and then, you know, another composite drawing of a, a different bearded man, and they, some of the media coverage got the two conflated. Oh, no. Yeah, uh, okay. but that was quickly cleared up. Okay, good. From RCMP documents, quote, at approximately 5 p.m., Helen Dick called police and reported that she believed the composite sketch was her husband, Leonard Dick. Leonard was a 64-year-old botany lecturer at the University of British Columbia. He left his Vancouver Island residence on July 16th to go on one of his characteristic outdoor research trips in his silver RAV4. Helen Dick stated that her husband typically slept in his car after long drives. Leonard Dick's last gas purchase was made on July 18th at approximately 7.46 p.m. Mm. This store was located approximately 20 kilometers away from where his body was discovered. So he probably just pulled over at yep. the side of the road and yep. just decided to camp there for the night. Yep. Helen reported that she had not heard from her husband since he last texted her on July 18th. Leonard Dick's sister, Doris, shared details of her brother's life with the star's Alex McKean. Leonard was born on July 9, 1955. He and his sister had grown up in Avis. There had been three other children born between the two, but all had died from unspecified illness, so Leonard and Doris were tight. 
He was a protective older brother, albeit a pacifist, like mm. the rest of the family. Oh. So a gentle soul. I'm just going to say gentle giant. From the star, quote, Their childhood pastimes of climbing trees and pretending to be Mission Impossible agents morphed over the years into routine brother and sister outings to concerts and plays. Dick took a wide interest in music and art, and whenever he learned something new, he was eager to take on the role of teacher so his younger sister could share in the experience. Mm. And further on in that article, quote, As a young man, Dick had a voracious appetite for learning. While studying biology and botany at university, he would draw, play guitar, and travel. He could have done anything. He could have gone into art, music. He chose science because it was the hardest thing, Fleck said. Len loved them all, but he also loved challenging himself, end quote. Who the hell are these people? They're all so damn amazing. Right. Like, wow. Neither of us are remotely that amazing. Oh, no. If if I was one of these people, you're like, yeah, you had a show. <laughs> did a thing. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Took some pictures. Yeah. His kids are great. <laughs> kids are awesome. <laughs> Eric Friesen, Dick's cousin from Calgary, set up a GoFundMe page in Leonard's memory. It provided some more details about his life. Quote, he leaves behind his wife of 30 years, Helen, and their two sons, Ben, 22, and Philip, 19. The 64-year-old sessional lecturer in botany at the University of British Columbia was killed near Dees Lake in northern British Columbia. This became the last of Len's many sojourns into the remote countryside he loved. Soft and thoughtfully spoken, Len was blessed with many gifts, a wonderful tenor voice, music abilities, artistic endeavors, and a keen intelligence. He studied at UBC, first applying himself to marine biology in his Bachelor of Science. He then pursued botany in the study of plant life and spent two decades in the study of seaweed, its perils, and persistent survival, obtaining his master's and PhD. He wielded his knowledge with a dry wit that endeared him to his students and peers, end quote. I, I want to go for a coffee with this guy is what right. I'm thinking. Like, but you can't. Yeah. No one could figure out why anybody would want to murder such a great guy. Mm-hmm. The police were getting more information that would take the investigation in a new direction. And with that, we will take a little break right here. And we're back. Um, thoughts so far, Scott? Yeah, just what I was saying. Some great people. Mm-hmm. Some really wonderful people that I think any one of us would have loved to have spent some time getting to know. Right. Early in the afternoon on July 22nd, 2019, after hearing of the search for Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski and the details of the murders, a witness came forward providing a statement to the RCMP. The witness knew McLeod and Schmigelski and believed that they may have been involved in the murders. This conflicted with the original witness statements from the people who knew the pair. So that's interesting because thus far it appears that there are five victims. Right. Three murdered, two missing. A search of the burned truck also turned up a burnt metal ammunition container. So thank goodness for this, the search warrant that they got. Mm-hmm. Even though it was badly burnt, the numbers 7.62 and 1975 101 mm-hmm. could be identified on the top of the canister. Furthermore, multiple burnt ammunition rounds with head stamp 101 and 75 were seized from the truck. 
Police also seized a gas nozzle from a jerry can near the burnt truck. So, yeah, uh, ammo made in 1975, um, facility 101. That sounds like I would imagine in, in 2019, that's pretty rare. Be very rare. Yeah, that's not common uh, mm-hmm. uh, ammunition. And probably the right amount of them were missing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. RCMP held a press conference to inform the public of the latest developments. Here's some audio. Today I'm here to request public assistance in locating suspects in connection to the Northern British Columbia investigations. As a result of the information and the appeal to public that we made yesterday in connection with the Dees Lake investigation and the disappearance of Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski, we were able to confirm new information and issue a new plea. For the past few days, investigators have been focusing their efforts on locating Cam and Briar, given that their vehicle and camper had been located on fire and the two were considered missing. We have also been working to identify a man whose body was discovered deceased two kilometers south of the vehicle fire at a highway pullout. Investigators have also been able to confirm that Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski have left British Columbia and have been spotted in northern Saskatchewan. We believe that they're likely continuing to travel. Though we don't have a possible destination, we can now confirm that they were last seen driving a gray 2011 Toyota RAV4. The missing RAV4 belonged to Leonard Dick. It appeared as though the fugitives had switched vehicles from their own and burned it to cover up the evidence. Given these latest developments, Cam and Briar are no longer considered missing. The RCMP are now considering Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski as suspects in the Dees Lake suspicious death and the double homicide of Lucas Fowler and Tanya Dees. We're asking for the public, if you spot Briar or Cam, consider them dangerous. Do not approach take no action, and call immediately, 911. Wow. Yeah, so, I mean, already, uh, my recollection of all of this happening was that it was all relatively close. And so I was always like, why didn't the police, why didn't the RCMP, con-? but as I'm learning more, the distance and territory, yep. it's like, okay, it's all, a lot of the, the judgment I may have had at the time is... Uh, Dissipating. So that uh, particular press conference that we just heard took place on July 23rd okay. from RCMP documents. Quote, on July 12, 2019, McLeod and Schmigelski left the residence in Port Alberni, British Columbia. On the same day, they legally purchased one SKS semi-automatic rifle and a box of 20 rounds of Winchester 7.62 39mm ammunition using McLeod's possession and acquisition license at Cabela's in Nanaimo, British okay. Columbia. Okay. Police were able to piece together a timeline for McLeod and Schmigelski using bank card usage and scouring 41 days worth of surveillance footage oh, wow. from along their supposed route prior to their becoming suspects and after they were in those three murders. It put them in just the right places, in just the right time frames, to have committed the cold-blooded crimes. 
They had in fact gone to the Yukon after hmm. murdering Lucas and China, but had turned back toward their fateful encounter with Leonard Dick. Oh, that's fascinating. There had almost been a fourth victim. Oh. From RCMP documents, quote, on July 17th, 2019, at approximately 11.40 p.m., Ken Albertson, a photographer from Alaska, was driving westbound on the Alaska Highway and pulled off the road into a pullout to take a nap. This was located approximately 30 minutes west from Haynes Junction, Petro-Canada, and two hours, 10 minutes west of Whitehorse. Okay. Within five minutes of being parked, a truck with a camper drove past him and stopped about 50 yards ahead. An unknown male got out of the passenger side of the truck holding a long gun. The male walked toward the tree line and started moving toward the witness in a tactical or hunting stance. Jesus. The truck also started driving slowly toward the witness. Mr. Albertson drove away from the armed male and drove past the truck. The driver covered his face with his hand and Mr. Albertson was not able to see his face. Although he described the truck as being a white GMC at the time, the location and mail descriptions fit McLeod and Schmigelski. Mr. Albertson made the report to police on July 21st, 2019. They were hunting people, yeah, is what it sounded like. Yeah, that's like, wow. To know that you were so close to death. Yeah, and he, he couldn't, he wasn't making it up because he reported it before they were even yeah, considered yeah. suspects yeah. on oh, July wow. 21st. They weren't considered suspects yeah. until the 23rd, so. Oh, wow. On July 19th, 2019, the day of Leonard's murder, surveillance video showed McLeod and Smigelski purchasing gas and other items, including a crowbar and electrical tape at a Vanderhoof hardware store. They were driving Leonard's RAV4. They were headed east and began to cover a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. On July 20th, they bought gas in Fairview, Alberta. On July 21st, they were in Meadow Lake, Saskatchewan, and then hours later in LaRange, Saskatchewan. They went to a McDonald's in Thompson, Manitoba on July 22nd. From RCMP documents, quote, On July 22nd at around 2.30 p.m., a band constable from Split Lake, Manitoba was at a check stop near the entrance to Split Lake on Highway 280. A silver SUV was coming from the direction of Thompson and drove past the band constable but stopped eventually. The band constable dealt with the two males and allowed them to continue on their way. He had no idea who mm -hmm. they were at the mm -hmm. time. The following day, the band constable realized both males were McLeod and Schmigelski. Oh. Can you imagine? And here, if I'm surprised that he is still alive, to tell you the truth. The only thing I can think of is, and maybe, maybe. It's speculation. It, maybe it's what get you get into, but I can only, it, it, it's complete speculation, but. Perhaps that was the where they were wanting to be and knowing that if they kill the officer, that could attract more attention, give up where their location is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, that could be it. They could have been they could have left him alone so they didn't leave a trail yeah. of more carnage. Yeah. And an an officer who's not reporting in is quickly going to re, uh, generate some attention exactly. and it's easier to track down an officer. Like, yeah. On Also on July 22nd at 4.12 p.m., 
McLeod and Schmigelski purchased gas at a business in Split Lake, Manitoba. On July 23rd, at around noon, and this is when uh, they were, it was being told that they were suspects, major crime investigators lear- learned that a burnt RAV4 was located in Gillum, Manitoba on July 22nd, 2019. So... Mm-hmm. With their MO, yeah, burn, a kill vehicle occupant, take vehicle. Well, this RAV4 was the one that belonged to Leonard Dick. Yeah, who's dead. Yes. Yes. So on July 24th, Briar Schmigelski's dad, Alan, talked to the press about his son, saying they were regular kids. Here's some audio as he gives his perspective. Oh, I mean, I'm curious to hear. They hung out all the time. Uh, Briar never had Cam stay at his mom's house or, or his grandmother's. It was always at Cam's place or they had a few other close friends and, and, and they'd have their camp outs and all that. I don't know much. I just, I don't want to offend Cam's, Cam's family, okay? So I know they're hurting as much as I am. I know they're very confused. All I can say is my son did not have any real guns. My son did not have a vehicle. My son does not know how to drive. He was very introverted. And, and he was very heavy into video games. When he came to work for me for the summer, I, I didn't pay him. I just had a very expensive custom-made computer for him which he was quite content with. You know, he wasn't into the ones where, you know, you have your machine gun and go shooting people. He was more into, into strategy where you move your troops here and there. So his, his influences haven't been good. His influences have been YouTube and video games. They never got in trouble with the law. They never got into fights. You know, they were just hanging out and having a good time. They weren't scrappers. They weren't cursors. You know, they didn't go play Mr. Man like Macho. No, they were just everyday regular kids. But both of them have to have a lot of pain inside. Both of them. They had told me that uh, the Walmart jobs just weren't cutting it. They were going to go to Alberta and make some proper money. I believe that's what they were going to do. And I was absolutely flabbergasted to learn that two days later, and I found this out from the paper, that they were up in the Yukon. But initially, it looked like they were victims as well, right? Initially. And, and it's, it's really tough for me to see in the paper today photos of them alive and well in Saskatchewan. So I know they're not lost in the woods. That's, 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 that's incredibly hard to deal with. A normal child doesn't travel across the country killing people. A child in some very serious pain does. Mounties are going to shoot first and ask questions later. Basically, he's going to be dead today or tomorrow. I know that. I would say... Rest in peace, Byron. I love you. I'm so sorry all this had to happen. I'm so sorry that I couldn't rescue you. What I'm hearing is a, is a parent that's confused and doesn't want to believe that their son is capable of such a thing. 
I find his way of speaking interesting. I find that he initially was as if he's telling a story, not so much talking about, I, I would be expecting a lot more pain at the beginning. We definitely heard sadness at the end. And I, and I also understand as a parent, you're, you're, you want to believe in your child. Mm. You're his parent. That's your world. Yeah. You're going to speak to what you know which yep. and want to try to defend your child. So it's really, I, I just didn't feel completely comfortable hearing hearing him talk because it was- Well, it's an uncomfortable conversation for sure. For sure. And, and, and it, I was, have, it was off the cuff. He, he, it wasn't a planned statement from him. So. And you're just finding out that your, your child is likely- Accused of three of, murders. Yeah. And so that's going to shock you. And now being I mean, hunted he, by police. Yeah. He may have just been like- because we we tend to do this when in difficult, stressful times, uh, we're just thinking out loud. Stream of consciousness. Kind yes, of thing. that could have been just what's you know, and you know, you got a really good computer, so that's how I paid it. Because you're just, yeah, you're just speaking as your your thoughts are coming out, and yeah, yeah. it was it was weird though. Well, Madison Hempstead, who went to school with Briar Schmigelski, shared some disturbing re revelations about her former classmate with a global mm -hmm. news reporter. Oh, Let, let's hear from Madison. Yeah, please. I don't want to, like, be rude, just kind of like a weird kid. Like, he didn't really talk to anyone super, like, to himself. But when he did talk to people, the things he said were kind of scary, I guess. I never really thought anything of it until now, because we all thought he was just, like, trying to make jokes, make people laugh because he didn't have very many friends. But I know there was times he would tell me and my friends like ways he wanted to kill us and then himself, which is scary. Um, one of my friends also commented on Facebook, all our comments keep getting deleted though, saying that Byer said he wanted to kill his whole family. All he ever said to me was how he wanted to kill me and ways he would do it. And he would say things about how he would like cut our heads off and then he would take a gun and put it in his mouth and shoot himself in front of us like it, pretty detailed stuff but I don't know at the time we just thought oh he's trying to be funny like I don't and then I was like well that's really sad they're missing and then a few days later people were like oh they're suspects and then I just remembered everything that he said I totally forgot about everything like when you know someone it's kind of hard to believe they could do something but all the like parents are saying like oh, it's not them, like, they have such a bright future, they look like good kids, like, people are like, they don't look like they'd be a criminal, but what does a criminal look like? Like, it, anyone could have done anything, and I know it's sad if it is someone, like, we knew and grew up with, but could be anyone, I guess. I know, like, my friends who have had the same experiences as I had with him, they're all kind of scared about it, and not, no one really wants to say anything either because they're scared. I don't think there's anything to be scared of here. Like, I mean, I guess he was saying it to a lot of people. We probably could have went and told a teacher, told someone. Because now, like, looking back, it seems like he obviously might have had some issues, like, himself. And we probably could have tried to help him. But I don't know. At the time, it just didn't seem like anything. Holy shit. Right? <laughs> I think, you know... If your girls came home and told you that somebody was talking about shooting themselves or cutting off. Cutting their heads off yeah. and shooting, shooting himself in front of them, which doesn't make a lot of sense because you've just cut their head off. Right. So it's not like they can. I know it's not. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'd say, you know, let's maybe, let's call the popo. Yeah. Or something. It's, 
but you know what? I uh, she sounds like she's she's got a, a good head on her shoulders there, right. and, and yeah, you're you're not gonna you're not going to be wanting to think, oh, this person I know is probably going to be a murderer. No, you're gonna you know it's not how we we're, we're wired to be like, okay, this person's eccentric, but that's always the exception. Yeah, the, the people are not just everybody is not a murderer. The murderer is the exception. Yeah, usually. Well, I hope to hell. So, so, but yeah, it was just, man, it would be weird to like, if you've not like, yeah, I've hung out with that person, knowing that person and yep. All that crazy shit that they had said they were going to do. Uh, they did. Yeah. They went and did it. Jesus. The search for the suspected murderers was focused in Gillum, a small remote community of about 1200 people over a thousand kilometers north of Winnipeg near Stevens Lake. Somehow the two young suspects were able to elude police for days, even though Gillum was a quote, close-knit community where everybody knows everybody, mm -hmm. according to one woman from the area. Here's some audio from a global news report filed on July 27th, a full four days after the, after the two men vanished. The Gillum mayor can be heard talking about how citizens in the town were dealing with the manhunt. Mm. Yeah, small town. For the fourth day in a row, helicopters, drones and dogs have been scouring the area. Search teams that had been out deep in the bush and around bogs and near the train tracks far away from Gillum appear to be moving much closer to town. Some individuals are locking themselves in their house and, and staying secure that way. Uh, others are just traveling in groups and, and staying safe and staying vigilant to the area. So it's uh, uh, a different mismatch of, of how people are taking this on. Dwayne Borman is hoping with all of the RCMP personnel searching for Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski, this manhunt will end soon. But while police said Thursday they thought the suspects were in the region, the Mounties wouldn't say that Friday. So it's back to an old-fashioned police tactic. Over the next 72 hours, investigators will conduct door-to-door -door canvases in the town of Gillum and Fox Lake Cree Nation in hopes of generating new tips and information. There are numerous challenges when it comes to finding these two fugitives. Gillum and neighboring Fox Lake First Nation covers a huge swath of land in Manitoba's north. Police are being challenged not only by the terrain, but also by separating fact from fiction. Make sure that none of the false news stories that are flying out there are uh, circulating. We just want the facts. Rumors dilute the information pool, wasting precious time and manpower. RCMP report receiving more than 120 tips in the past few days. The hope is that by speaking personally with people, better tips can be generated. Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski may have changed their appearance. It is possible that someone may not have been aware of who they were providing assistance to and may now be hesitant to come forward. The men on the run are wanted for three murders in B.C. and could be anywhere in an abandoned shack deep in the woods or as some experts say, they may be closer having to search for provisions. So, yeah, they they had them cornered. They had to have. Mm -hmm. There's, It would have been, unless somebody had driven them away mm -hmm. in some other vehicle or and there was no other people missing in Gillum yeah. or anything like yeah. that. So... How would they have gotten away otherwise? There were yeah. no cars gone, no stolen vehicles, nothing like that. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it just comes down to old gumshoeing. Yeah, just getting getting your boots on and heading out and tracking them down. 
A private celebration of China's life was held at 2 p.m. on Saturday, July 27th at the New City Church in Charlotte, North Carolina, USA. China's obituary reads in part, China was a loving, free spirit who traveled the world. She had a genuine passion for the well-being of all people, their cultures and new experiences in general. Her loving, charismatic, and bubbly personality created a space in this world for genuine relationships to form. She always had a positive outlook on life and unfailingly brought joy to all that came in contact with her. Mm. The communities in northern Manitoba were kept in suspense for another week and a half. In the meantime, Lucas Fowler's family released a statement as well. To our dear family and friends... We have lost our dear Lucas Fowler, son, brother, grandson, and friend in the most terrible of circumstances. To lose someone so young and vibrant who is traveling the world and just enjoying life to the full is devastating. To know his beautiful girlfriend, China Deese of Charlotte, North Carolina, also lost her life in this violent event is too cruel. All our love and best wishes go to China's family and friends. We are now traveling to Canada to be with our boy and bring him home. Our deepest thanks for all your love and care. At this stage, we can only move forward minute, a minute at a time, and those minutes are moving so slow. Please share this post with all people who may have crossed paths anywhere in the world with these beautiful young people. Oh, my heart. Yeah. Yeah. From RCMP documents, quote, On July 29th, police located several items belonging to the suspects in the Sundance area, including hundreds of rounds of ammunition from a number of scenes. This led investigators to focus on locating additional evidence within the area. August 1st, McLeod's backpack was located containing a full box of ammunition, as well as his wallet with his identification, and then some clothing. On August 2nd, 2019, police located a damaged boat along the Nelson River. I remember that very yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, same. But this now turned out to be completely unrelated. Really? Yes. Oh. August 4th, 2019, an underwater search was conducted where the boat was found. The search did not uncover any additional items linked to the suspects. So they thought maybe these guys it, had taken the, a yeah. boat, you know. At the time, that w it seemed a surety that that's what the bo boat was related to it. On August 7, 2019, police located two deceased bodies approximately eight kilometers away from the burnt RAV-4. Police seized two SKS semi-automatic rifles near the deceased males and two spent 7.62 39mm cartridges. These rifles were examined by the firearms lab and they were determined to be the same guns used in Fort Nelson mm. and Dees Lake. No, oh, there we go. One of the guns... One of the two guns was determined to be the same gun purchased by McLeod and Schmigelski at the Vancouver Island business. Interestingly, the other gun, they didn't know where it had come from. Did they ever find out? Um, not that I could find. They oh, may wow. have, I yeah. may have missed it in my research, yeah, but, yeah. but initially they did not know where this other weapon oh, had wow. come from. So interesting. interesting yeah. yeah. Police recovered a digital camera where the bodies of the two were found. The camera contained six videos and three still images. In the videos, McLeod and Schmigelski took responsibility for all three murders. They also described their intent to commit suicide and their wish to be cremated. These videos do not contain any information regarding the motive behind their actions, nor do they provide specifics regarding the murders. Forensic analysis to date has been unable to determine the exact date and time when each of the videos and still images were taken, 
and the digital camera has been identified as Dick's. So it was Leonard Dick's camera. Mm -hmm. The RCMP Behavioral Analysis Unit, BAU, conducted a review of the videos of McLeod and Schmigelski. BAU is concerned with a behavior called identification, which is considered a warning behavior in the context of threat assessment. In that, the videos may influence or inspire other individuals to carry out a targeted mm. act of violence, essentially creating copycat killers. In BAU's experience, those who commit mass casualty attacks are heavily inspired by previous attackers and their behaviors. So, RCMP decided never to release those videos to the public. Yeah, uh, I support that. There's obviously... With many of us who follow this uh, genre, true crime, mm -hmm. there's curiosity. Yeah. But my curiosity doesn't supersede the needs of the family, doesn't no. supersede the needs of the police, you know. And so I, I absolutely support their decision to um, let the professionals handle it and glean what they can from it and analyze it. The rest of us don't need to. Well, one person wanted to see those very badly. Oh, really? That was Alan Schmigelski, Breyer's dad. Okay. He wanted to see what his son had to say before he committed suicide. Okay. And Schmigelski spoke again with Global BC's Sarah McDonald. And we'll make a link to the entire eight-minute interview available in our show notes. But here are some highlights of what he said to her. We have five deaths here. This is all preventable. And, and with this being an international story, right, we have people from around the world that are deceased. We have the whole world wanting to know what's going on. I know you want to ask me about the video, but I still have a non-disclosure, and I still haven't told anyone. I, I haven't known what to feel since this all started, okay? He wasn't healthy. He was skin and bones. He was abused, he was neglected, he was failing to thrive. I just don't want any other parent to have to go through this. I don't want any other kid to have to decide his only option in life is to go on a trip like this, okay? I don't want this ever to happen again. Every day it's been awful news. Every day. I think the big question that a lot of people who don't know Briar are asking is why. And as his dad, can you maybe... Is there anything you want the public to know about what perhaps... He lost hope. He lost hope. Okay? I mean, the briar that the public knows, that's not the briar that you know. No. No. The briar I enjoyed company. He's very intelligent, very active. He had disabilities. We shouldn't have had to go on news and say, we're going to take this to litigation. Right? Why? Why? Why do they treat me that way? And they've done it since the start. It wasn't till a week later that RCP actually came and talked to me. Why? Have you shared the frustrations that we have had with, we feel like we're not getting a lot of information about even cause of death, stuff you like that? You have no idea my level of frustration. Okay, if you're frustrated as the media, how do you think when this is my little boy that I dearly loved, how come they didn't talk to me? Maybe I could have helped them if they would have admitted that I exist. Yeah, definitely somebody who's very, uh, going through a lot. Yeah, he's in a lot of pain. Yeah. That, for sure. The one thing that, that strikes me 
with both of the uh, audio that we have, both interviews that we have with him, mm -hmm. um, he's talked multiple times about how he was his son was lost and his son son was you know strayed on like uh, he wasn't provided with what he needed to in life and uh, as a parent I'm sitting there thinking well uh, like yeah that isn't as a parent isn't that your role but I'm sure there are family dynamics well, yeah, that because, we don't know yeah. about and you know who raised him and this and that but to me my initial thought was like well yeah as a parent like that's you're the one whose job it is, but again, not knowing those right, uh, we don't know specifics. The ins and outs and, yeah, because yeah. well, family dynamics can be are very specific and unique to the household, and is really difficult to say. But he's that was definitely a man who um, is in a lot of pain. Um, I certainly wouldn't want that video or the yeah the videos released. I don't know why he does, but. Um, you know, he's seen it. I haven't, um, mm -hmm. yep. he's in a lot of pain yeah. and, uh, I empathize with that incredibly. He's a victim too. His son was, uh, is miss, his son is gone. His son is gone. He's going to be thought of, uh, you know, people are going to think negatively about the, like it's, it's a shitty situation for him too, but yeah, yeah it's interesting. They're not here to explain people have had to speculate on the motives of these young men. Yeah. Some sites have suggested the information that RCMP is holding back is that the two killers might have identified with a specific group. Mm. Uh, people have found photos of Briar, for example, in military garb, holding weapons, and in possession of Nazi memorabilia. Mm -hmm. Okay. Perhaps they were white supremacists identifying as Nazis. Who knows? Yep. Others... Uh, one site in particular that I'm not going to name mentioned that they may be incels, but I couldn't find any other confirming evidence of that. So that's why I'm not mentioning the, the website, but who knows? It, 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 that was the first thing I thought of when the RCMP had said, we don't want to, um, incite other people to, and I do remember that that's a, in that community, in the incel community, that uh, they really are inspired by other people who have done. Yeah. Bad things. Bad it all things. started with that Elliot Roger piece yep, of crap. That's exactly who I was thinking. He's like yeah. a, a, a God in that community. And, uh, so that my, my in, initial instinct by what they were saying is, oh, mm. Yep. Well, I guess, like I say, we will never know, but here again, we have two angry white men who left a path of pain and senseless destruction in their final days. Yeah, we're good at that. Oh, wow. That's it for this week's case. Yeah, that was good. I mean, it's that's still a fresh case in my mind. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there was a lot that I, I got from this that I wasn't aware of. Like the fourth possible victim. The yeah, the, the, the actual distance. I had always thought, well, this has happened within... Uh, miles of each other, not kilometers real, not of each all. other. But yeah. no, it was a, so it makes a lot more sense as to why the they police had weren't driven immediately thousands, like, they had driven thousands yeah. of kilometers. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And so it made, cause initially it's like, why aren't you linking these two? I mean, come on. Yeah. But no, that's a huge span of distance. All right. So let's uh, do some voicemails. It oh. looks like we have a couple. Okay. All right. Um, here is one from, oh, look. It's somebody from Nova Scotia. Oh, oh. I always love it when someone from you Nova really Scotia do. leaves a voicemail, just because. You really do. Um, so I need to download it for, well, I'll just play it. Hi there, Scott and Mike. It's Denise calling from 
and atypically hot and steamy Dartmouth, Nova Scotia. I just wanted to send a voicemail thank you for your podcast. My dog and I have been powering through it during work-at-home isolation. You've done a fine job keeping us company and entertained. Uh, We always look forward to your next episode. And we powered through the entire catalog over the past several weeks. This is the point in the voicemail where I might suggest some cases for you to look into, but don't worry, I sent a detailed email to that end. In closing, go shit in your hat, and then wash your hands. We're in a pandemic, for crying out loud. <laughs> Thanks, Denise. <laughs> Thank uh, you. Yes, and I did get your email, uh, and I uh, I may not have responded yet as of this uh, episode. What could you possibly be busy doing, Mike? <sighs> <laughs> Only everything. Writing a book. Yeah. Yeah, there is that. It's uh, God, I wish pets uh, counted as downloads. Pets? Yeah, because people are, oh, I listen to it with my dog, listen to it with my yeah, cat. Like, like, oh, I wish that counted as a download. If it was the more ears. Yeah. Yeah. Like, even if the ears are-, are Sergeant are Barkenstein. Feline or canine. Is, he counts. <laughs> Barkenstein. Yeah. <laughs> my Sergeant Barkenstein. He counts as a listener. Uh, here's another Yumber Yarder, actually, oh. who just wanted to say hi. Hey, Mike and uh, Scott. It's James Cockcorn, long-time fan, first-time caller. Just wanted to say thanks, gentlemen, for um, for everything you do with the podcast. I enjoy listening to you guys every Sunday. It's the highlight of my week. Uh, go take a poop in your toque, gentlemen. Every day. Bye for now. And that, yeah, was, that was James Cox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's, he's active in the Yumber Yard. Yeah, he definitely is. So. Oh, right on, James. Thanks for leaving the voicemail. Thank you so much. Much appreciated, and sir. And I'm really sorry that we're the highlight of your week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, really? Uh, yeah, well, you know. But thank you. So people like us, Scott. They do. It's nice. They do. It's nice. They do. It's nice to be liked. It's, Holy it's shit. not nice to be disliked. A- after living the vast majority of life, like, do people even care that I'm here? Do people know I'm alive? It, it, it's nice to get some uh, kind words. Hello, anybody? I exist. Hello. Oh, boy. And now, now there's people saying nice things. So there you go. There's our two voicemails for the week. We'll um, take it. We'll take it. We will take they, it. They were very kind, supportive voicemails. If you want to leave us one, you can do so at one eight seven seven three two seven five seven eight six or one eight seven seven D A R K P T N. And we're not singing this week. Enough of that crap. Exactly. So if your call stands out, we might play it on the show. Let's have a look at some Patreon. Uh, let's do. Let's. Now it's time for some Patreon shout-outs. Oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. Woo! Scott's favorite part. Woo! I get emails every week from people who say, I normally don't listen to Patreon shout-outs at the end of any show, but you guys just seem to make it really funny. And that's the... This was absolutely not... I don't know what made me suddenly start... Uh, getting into detail with all these people I know. Right. But uh, it's fun to do. I'm yeah. glad people like it. Yeah, these these people are, are really enjoying yeah. themselves. Because uh, I totally get it. I would only listen to shout outs if I was expecting to hear mine. Right. Well, yeah, that's just the way you are. Man, selfish bastard. You know, so. No, but I, you know, it's just an extra piece of the show to me. Mm-hmm. It's just, uh, it's just as fun. Here we have one, our, our friend Sally Norris upped her pledge. Oh. And she's from Weymouth in Great Britain. Oh, that's a 
I'm going to assume a beautiful place. It probably is. Yeah. Uh, do you know what she does there? A potato peeler. Good. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Because uh, they, they eat a lot of potatoes. Um, next we have Lenny Bright mm-hmm. from Wichita, Kansas. What a name. Lenny Bright. What a, yeah. What Not a, Lenny Dim, Lenny Bright. No, what a great name. Yeah. He, and what he, does, what does Nettie, uh, what does Lenny do? Oh, take a guess. Guess what? I'll tell you. Light bulb he, uh, installer. He, manufacturer. Oh, okay. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. That's very, great. very, uh, he actually changed his last name to Bright just because he's such, he's so passionate about what he does. Oh, mm-hmm. very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Very, I'd, I'd say. Um, this one is a little weird. Yeah. Okay. Great. Netta and the Moose. Oh, <laughs> Yeah. They have up their pledge, and uh, Netta and the Moose yeah. are from Christiansand in Norway. Holy crap. Mm-hmm. Do they have m- mooses? Meese. Meese in Norway? <laughs> I'm pretty sure they do. Well, yeah, wow. A, a certain type of moose, apparently. Yeah. Sounds like it would be a band. So what do you think Netta and the Moose do? Uh, horticulturalist. But what about the moose? Also a horticulturalist. Oh, they do it together. T- it's tandem horticulturaline. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. They do it together. They've, uh, they've been partners for a very long time. When I say partners, I mean friends and partners in business. Uh, but yeah, they just, they're having, yeah, they're, they're great pals and loving their horticulture There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we have Morrigan. Morrigan? Morrigan. Morrigan. And I don't know where Morrigan is from. Sawtooth National Forest. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Where is that? Idaho. Idaho. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I drove through the top of Idaho. Did you? Did you go, did you see them? I did not. Oh. I was not it's in Sawtooth National oh. Forest, oh. I don't believe. No. I didn't notice if I was. You may, you may have. You may have. So what does Morrigan do? They're lumberjack and Jills. Morrigan? Because mm-hmm, I, I don't, I don't know. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So Okay. Uh, yeah, fair enough. It's a, it's a lumberjack person. There you go. Yeah. Um, um, it's solo. Solo lumberjacker. Yep. Yeah. No, no help, no assistance, uses a, uh, an ax. And it's, uh, you know, I don't want to be like, I want to tell somebody how to do their job. They just use one of those little hatchets, which is just bloody time consuming. Yeah. But, uh, yep. So, and they like drag the tree themselves to the lumber mill and it's, ooh, yeah. But, uh, but you know, the, the, the charge a lofty price for those trees. There you go. Mm-hmm. Uh, next we, we have Heather Brown from Tilgaman. Maryland. Tilgaman, Maryland. Yeah. And, uh. Good old Tilgaman, they say. Yeah. So that's what they say. Okay. Yeah. And what does she do in Tilgaman? Um, male person. Male person. Yeah. Oh, so she's delivering the mail. Yes. Yeah, that's nice. Yeah. It's, it's a good. Through sleep good, and snow. And, yeah. Well. Yeah. They, they wish not the snow, but yeah, yeah. it's a good, it's a good gig, man. It's, you know, you can, you've got a long career. Mm-hmm. As long as there's mail, it needs to be delivered. There you go. Am I right or am I right? You're right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, Bridget Kane from Fountain Valley in California. Didn't a, we have that? Yeah. Well, there's, I was just going to say there's a lot of fountain places. I thought we had a Fountain Valley last week, but. Oh, uh, maybe, maybe somebody told a friend. Could have been. Mm-hmm. It could have been. Could have been. There you go. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I don't know what Bridget does in Fountain Valley. Bridget is a stay at home owner. Oh, okay. Fair yeah. enough. Yeah. There you go. Yep. Yeah. Her, she's, she doesn't, they don't have children. They just, that own, household own doesn't pets. have children. Yep. One. Oh, okay. One. Pet. 
What, you need what kind of pet is it? Kinkajou. Oh, a kinkajou. Yeah, they require a lot of of attention, constant attention. And so, if you if one of the, somebody in the household is going to be working, you just you, you should not get a kinkajou. And so that's just dedicated to just the kinkajou. She's the kinkajouiest. Yeah. Whoa. And the, the kinkajou's name is Schmitty. Schmitty the yeah. kinkajou. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Thanks, mm-hmm. Schmitty's mom. Yeah. Thanks, Schmitty's mom. Um, next we have, uh, the person who does our books Oh, for us. Her name is Kathy Lamanis and she is back as a patron. So wow. I know what Kathy does uh-huh. and she lives in Burnaby. So I know that too. Okay. Yeah. She's a good buddy of mine. We've been friends for 20 odd years Holy now. Holy crackers. Yeah. Wow. And she, uh, she helps me to struggle with the taxes oh and all God. those kind of things that we have Fucking to do. Numbers. Numbers. Holy all shit. the numbers. So Ka- thank you, Kathy. For all the numbers. And Kathy is actually, we mentioned her in our episode about uh, the murders along the Highway of Tears mm-hmm. recently because she is the cousin I of remember. one of the victims. Yeah. yeah. So thank you again, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy, for the numbers. And how about this for a call out from a place we talked about this week? Sarah Sickus from Whitehorse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In the Yukon. Yeah. It gets cold up there, dude. Well, yeah. I, I had a I, I had a girlfriend a oh, long time ago. She was moving here from there. Yep. And it was like minus 40. Wow. With a minus 40 windchill. Wow. It, like she, she's like- so it's you, minus a million. Yeah. She was like, literally your pants freeze. Feels like an ice cube. <laughs> yeah. 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 Jesus. So here we have, uh, lastly, for as far as Patreon goes, we have- Virginia or Gina Day mm-hmm. from Austin, Texas. That's, and I, she's I up to her pledge for us. I do want to go there. I do. And I, I have not been to Austin, although that is where CrimeCon is next year. Whether we go or not is a different thing. Depends oh, wow. on how the international travel thing works. Yeah. And how many of you continue listening to us. So right. please continue. Please, please, please. Exactly. Get and, your friends. And... I have family in Austin, Texas. You do? I absolutely do. So chances are good. I don't. No? No, I don't have family in Austin, Texas. So there you go. Yeah. Um, That's it for Patreon. But anyway, interestingly, our friend Sally Norris decided to send us more donut money. Wow. Sally seems to love us and I, I appreciate it. She well, sends Sally two too. donut icons and says, many thanks as always, Sally N., I'm literally speechless. What a terrible week for the entire planet. Yeah. Yeah. Things have not been fun. It has been. I, I had a uh, very, very wonderful but powerful conversation with my 10-year-old today about uh, systematic racism. Oh, yeah. Systemic racism, uh, Black Lives Matter, what, in protest. We had some pretty powerful conversations and she, my 10-year-old was shocked yeah. by the world. So I pretty much traumatized her. There you go. Yeah. So thank you all to our patrons, past and ple- present, pleasant. Well, you are yep, pleasant, pleasant as well. Pleasant as well. For your pledges. And uh, do, uh, do course our, uh, our lovely donut money donators. Mm. I love you mm-hmm. because the donuts are good, mm-hmm. even though I'm trying to lose weight now. Three pounds this week, I hear. Three pounds. Yeah. Way to go. That's awesome. Three whole big well, pounds. That's fucking awesome. Ah, uh, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens by next February, because that's kind of my goal. I, I think- It's a ways away. I, three pounds a week is really goddamn good. Well, I'm not going to measure it by that. I'm just going to keep doing what I'm supposed to do. Yep. I am uh, practicing some uh, 
cognitive behavioral therapy oh, around my eating. Geez. Okay. Wow. <laughs> so it's it's an interesting, interesting thing. It mm-hmm. should be an interesting uh, few months. So thank you again, folks, for supporting our show. And there will be probably less of me to support as time goes on. <laughs> If you don't already, it would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to the show. You can easily find us on iTunes, Podcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spotify, or wherever you get your on-demand audio. Check out our website, darkpoutine.com, for show notes. Give us a like or a follow on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Dark Poutine. Most importantly, thanks for listening and tell your friends about us. Word of mouth is a powerful thing. Until next week, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye-bye, everybody. Goodbye. <laughs> Wee! <laughs> it's Billy again. <laughs> it's Billy. Oh, sweaty ears. I got a bad case of sweaty ears. <laughs>